Today's episode of Unseen is sponsored by Hit the Bricks, a musical audio drama set in the world of the Oz books by L. Frank Baum. If you're a fan of fantastical worlds, and I'm going to guess you are if you're listening to Unseen, then you are going to fall in love with this bright, inventive version of Oz and the enchanting new characters who just want to find their way home. Listen to Hit the Bricks on your favorite podcatcher. You can also follow them at Hit the Bricks Pod or check out their website, hitthebricks.com. Today's episode of Unseen is also sponsored by the Magnus Archives. If you're listening to Unseen, chances are it's because you love hearing a good story. And if you're looking for a new show to listen to as the days get colder and the nights get darker, why not try the most successful horror podcast in Europe? The Magnus Archives, produced by our friends at Rusty Quill, is a weekly horror fiction anthology podcast examining what lurks in the archives of the Magnus Institute, an organization dedicated to researching the esoteric and the weird. But, of course, the esoteric and the weird have a way of lurking right back. The Magnus Archives is one of the longest-running and enduringly scary podcasts out there, with over 160 award-winning episodes to thrill and terrify you. And as it nears the end of its fifth and final season, there's never been a better time to immerse yourself in the deeply strange world of the Magnus Institute. Check out the Magnus Archives at rustyquill.com slash themagnusarchives. Make your statement. Face your fear. The following episode contains discussions of murder and physical violence, as well as depictions of fantasy violence, gambling, and drinking. Listener discretion is advised. Long Story Short Productions presents... Unseen. Episode 9 The Last Days of Ragtime by Gabrielle Urbina I hate Paris. I hate it! If you like Paris, that's fine. It just means that you're wrong and I'm right. And we're both going to have to learn to live with that. What's so bad about Paris, you ask? Oh, not much. As long as you don't mind the weather, the noise, the way lay Parisian drive. The crowds, the fact that it's impossible to figure out what rue goes where, how ridiculously expensive everything is, and the way everyone insists on being so bloody French! Then again, might be I'm not being fair. See, eight months earlier, when your dear friend Robin Fend, that's yours truly, made his triumphant arrival to La Cité, things were different. 
I had a song in my heart, a lovely tailored suit on my back, and a big suitcase full of ill-gotten gains that needed to depart from my care. The nighttime establishments of Paris are very kind to a fey man in those particular circumstances. I was rather inclined to, as they say, let the good times roll. There were drinks, music, card games, a friendly wager or two, some good decisions, some decisions that the judgmental might call bad ones, a bit where things get quite foggy. And then, one day, the bill arrived. Turned out that somewhere in the rolling of the good times, I'd wound up owing quite a large sum of money to a group of gentlemen you wouldn't want to owe half a franc to. From there, my time in Paris took a turn towards the unpleasant. Threatening messages, phone calls in the middle of the night, knives held up to the throat, gravelly voices saying, we mean it, Fend, if you don't give us our money by Friday, we'll cut off this or that delicate bit, yadda yadda yadda, you know how it goes. So, uh, that's about the gist of it. I needed money, I didn't have that. I needed the next best thing. Friends. None of those either. Which left me with option C. I needed to find a way to make myself scarce. To vanish. To disappear so completely that not even magic could pick up the trail. Easily said. Very much quite hard to do. Sort of thing that might take a miracle. Fortunately, I knew just the place where one might be able to find a miracle worker or two. And so... On that rainy Thursday night in Paris, I made my way to the ragtime. I'd never been to this place before. The folks in the know had always made it clear that the kind of trouble you find there was above my weight class. But, desperate times, so I figured I'd dole myself up and drop by. The ragtime was one of those places that's made to not be found if you don't know what you're looking for. Back alley in the 8th arrondissement, and even then you need to knock on it just the right way. Once you do, a bit of the metal opens up and a pair of bright green eyes peer out. This gruff, low voice asked, Mot de passe? I went, uh, reverse? No, 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 wait, hang on, not like that. It was more like, um, reverse. The green eyes looked me over once, twice, and then... And just like that, the opening closed up again. A moment passed. Then another... And another. Okay, I started to get worried. I'd spent the last of my cash buying the directions to this place and the password. If I'd been had, that was it. I had nothing. No backup plan. I'd have to... As I was saying. A moment later, the door swung open, revealing a staircase that led down into the basement. I nodded to the doorman and, nonchalantly, walked in. Now, most people think of the speakeasy as an American invention. 1920s, age of prohibition. And the word might come from thereabouts, but the concept, that goes quite a bit further back in the unseen world. The truth is, as long as magic's been hard to see, there's been a market for places where, well, where you know that everyone is going to see things your way. And as long as that's existed, there's been a market for places where one might see a man about the kind of magic that some might find unseemly. And in Paris, there's no better place for unseemly than the ragtime. I remember the first thing I noticed about the place was the air. There's something about magically cleaned air that just smells different, feels different. 
After that, it was the polished wood floors and the marble statues along the walls. Ah, the marble statues that change positions every so often. Very nice. I made a mental note that someone on the premises must be a serious wonder worker. And that would also explain the chandeliers. There were four of them floating over the tables. Every few seconds, the glass in them would rearrange itself, change colour, sort of like a kaleidoscope. If you... What? Why are you looking at me like that? Oh, I'm sorry, did you expect the place to be a dive or something? No, 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 this was a luxury establishment. When I said I made myself look like I'd fit in with the worst of the Parisian underground, I meant I'd done my best to look like an investment banker. Speaking of which, the moment I came in, three guys looked up at me from a table. Slush fund babies by my guess. As I walked past their table, I caught a glimpse of the glass vials. Underground oubliation. The illegal memory trade. Very naughty, that. Sort of thing the Blackstar would have a field day with. Most of the other tables are empty. A slim young woman in a lovely green dress sat by herself. She raised her wine glass at me when she caught me staring, and I moved on. Two harpy gentlemen were sitting in a corner booth by this roaring fireplace, talking to a tall man in a trim suit. By the look of him, probably a witness. Just enough magic to find a place like this, not enough to do anything with it. If I had to guess, I'd wager he's offering the two winged gents a large amount of money to make some problem he has disappear. Something needs to find its way out of someone's vault, that sort of thing. I just about made it to the bar when it happened. There was this bang, and this black door in the back of the room swung open. A chair flew out of it and crashed onto the floor by the bar. But what was really interesting about it was what was tied to the chair. This kid, a bunch of dried blood caked on the side of his head. He looked like he couldn't be more than 19. Who knows what he'd done? Got caught cheating on a bet or defaulted on the wrong loans to the wrong person? Then... Another figure emerged from the back room. Tall, slender guy with a pale face and these blank eyes. Just from the way he moved, I could tell what he was. They called them spectres, men and women who move through the world without leaving a trace and who handle all sorts of unpleasantness for those who can afford to get it handled. He grabbed the chair and started dragging it back towards the black door. And the kid's just looking around with these big desperate eyes, shouting at us, you know, all the usual stuff. Oh God, please don't let him do this. For God's sake, do something, please. I'm begging you, do something before. And then they were gone. And it was like that poor idiot had never even existed. Anyway, I got a drink. Triple vodka on the rocks. With that in hand, I figured it was time to get down to business. See, the bloke that ran the ragtime, these days anyway, was one of the dark, shadowy figures of the Parisian underground. Nobody knew his real name, just what he was called. Sans reflet. The man without reflection. We'd never met, but I'd heard a lot about him. That he was a powerful magician, a sort that could do just about anything under the sun. That he was ruthless, but fair in his own way that he liked to play games and that he loved a good story. I figured if there was someone who could get me out of Paris before my mistakes caught up with me, it was him. So I was hoping I'd be able to arrange a tete-a-tete. -tete. And then, I saw this guy. Tall bloke in a dark suit sitting by himself at one end of the bar. Thoughtful. Watchful and a hint of something a touch more violent behind his eyes. 
He wasn't doing anything in particular, just sitting at the bar. I said to myself, are you watching closely? Because if that guy's not Sol Reflet, I'll eat my hat. Ten minutes later, I was wondering whether I should start with the brim or the bowl. Ugh. Still didn't know who the blonde man in the dark suit was, but he wasn't Sol Reflet, that much I was sure of. I hadn't exactly asked, mind you. I hadn't gone, Oh, pardon me, sir. If it's not too much trouble, might one ask if you are that terrifying figurehead of the criminal underworld, the man without reflection. Doing that would be a good way to find out what's behind that black door the kid got dragged through. No, you sort of ask around the subject. Say the right words. Let them know you're in the know without ever saying you're in the know. It wasn't my finest moment, but I think I managed to keep my composure as... I scurried away in profound embarrassment. Forget getting out of Paris. At that moment, I just wanted to drown myself in my triple vodka. Or maybe in the glass of Pinot Grigio the bartender had just put down in front of me. I looked up at him and he pointed off towards one of the tables. Compliments of the lady, he said. As I made my way back towards the corner where the young woman in the green dress was still sitting, I took a moment to reflect on what a sodding idiot I am. Sans reflet, the woman without reflection. I looked at her properly this time and forced down the lump in my throat. She'd seemed so ordinary when I'd walked in, but now, now I could see the calluses on her hands, the hard edges on her face, the faint scar running down her jaw. I wasn't sure how I'd missed it all until she said, It's a dress, darling. Apparently, apart from being fabulous and having very roomy pockets, it also enchanted her appearance. Just little touches here and there to make the eye pass over her. Terribly useful if you're a criminal mastermind. Sol Reflet asked me to take a seat, and I did. I gave her my thanks for the wine, which she cordially accepted, and she asked for my name, which I cordially lied about. All the steps in the dance of meaning and implication, all leading up to her asking the inevitable question. So, Monsieur Fenn. What can we do for you on this fine evening? And when she said that, she looked at me. And looking into those eyes, I realised this woman was only young in all the ways that didn't matter. The mind behind those eyes was a steel trap and I was stepping into it. I thought, you know, it's not too late. You haven't done anything that stupid yet. Just say all you're looking for is a bit of a drink and some strange, decadent company. We'll make a night of it. I mean, sure, you'll get killed if you don't get out of Paris too sweet, but that's not so bad. Not compared to what this woman could do to you. Then again, in for a penny, in for a pound. So I tell her, I need a way out of Paris. Quick, discreet, untraceable, tonight. She nods and says it's quite possible. Then she quotes me a number, one with, uh, well, quite a lot of digits in it. Safe to say, more than I have. Fortunately, I'd come prepared for just such an eventuality. Word on the street was Sol Reflet enjoyed the occasional game of poker. I asked if she might be willing to play for passage out of Paris. She didn't answer, she just looked at me, deciding if I was even worth her time, maybe. 
And if I was, she asked, what would you bet against that very valuable service? From her sneer, it was clear she didn't think I had anything besides the clothes on my back, and it was unlikely those would get me very far at her table. Then I showed her the other thing I'd brought with me. That wiped the sneer off her face. I should explain. See, a person like Saint Reflet, it isn't easy to tempt them. Half the bloody city probably out of their firstborn. No, to really get the attention of the underworld boss who has everything, you need to move past the realm of the practical. You need to wow them. There isn't a lot of phoenix fire left in the world. Old bit of magic, that one. Old and potent. Back in the old world, it was the kind of thing they'd used to bring down city walls, but that was before they'd come up with stuff like electricity. A handful of it would be enough for a clever person to power Paris for a year. An unscrupulous person could get up to all kinds of fascinating trouble with it. And from the way she was looking at it, I knew she wanted it. She wanted this phoenix fire very badly. Which is why I'd created the illusion of some for her. <laughs> no, of course I didn't have the real stuff. There's only about five handfuls of it left in the world these days. Don't be stupid. No, what I have is a certain... gift. They call it lots of things. Leisure de main, glamourie, the art. It all comes down to the same thing. I can make things look a certain way. Make it so they tell a little lie to the eyes. All I have to do is keep reminding the objects of their motivation. It's like... keeping a song running through your head. As long as you can hold it there, people hear it out in the world. And right now, this old bottle of Cronenberg I'd found on the street was singing the song of one of the oldest, most powerful magical artefacts in the world. The fact that you can do glamourie is not the sort of thing you advertise if you're trying to keep a low profile. I'd kept quiet about it while I'd been in Paris, and I didn't think anyone knew. Saul Reflet certainly didn't. She hadn't taken her eyes off the phoenix fire since I'd put it on the table. She snapped her fingers, and one of the waiters was instantly next to us. Saul Reflet ordered two more glasses of wine and some poker chips for her new friend. Well, consider her wowed, I suppose. No going back. Now I just need to win. So we started playing. Not for the grand prize right away, of course. We needed a bit of time to size each other up. A few light skirmishes before the grand battle. And she was good. Cold, impassive, excellent at a bluff. She didn't give anything away. There were a few others, too. The ragtime filled up as it got later, and as a rule, an open chair at a poker table's there to be filled. People wafted in, then wafted out once they'd run out of money. Pretty much the only person who didn't play was the blonde man in the suit. He just sat at the bar, watching it all. But really, it was all between me and Saint Reflet. We started with a small blind of 100 euros, then 500, then 1,000. Saint Reflet assured me that she knew I was good for it and I saw no reason to disabuse her of that notion. Besides, it was all smoke anyway. She knew what I needed wasn't money and I knew that if I wound up with a debt I couldn't pay off, I'd be forced to give up the Phoenix fire. It's a win-win for her, unless I really managed to pull a rabbit out of my hat. Or... 
an ace from up my sleeve. Oh, relax. Of course I was cheating, but I knew what I was doing. Not a lot, not in any obvious ways, and I wasn't cleaning anybody out. I just, you know, persuaded the occasional eight to look like a jack for a bit. And if that kept this poor sinner in the game for a little while longer, was it so bad? As soon as the hand's done, glamour goes away, Jack goes back to being an eight, I retain my ambitions of not dying cold alone and scared at the bottom of the same. Easy peasy, a bit of a lemon squeeze in my next rum and coke please. We were going into hour three and into my third G&T when it finally happened. It was just me and Sol Reflet. All the other players were out. Stakes were high, roughly a quarter of a million euro on the table. Sora Flay stared at me for just a moment. Then she pulled out some paper and an envelope. A moment later, she tossed it on top of the pile of chips. I didn't even need her to say anything. I knew what was in there. Safe passage out of Paris. Freedom. <sighs> I bit my lip and hoped it was too dark for anyone to see how badly I was sweating. My hand shook again as I reached into my pocket and took out the Cronenberg bottle, by which, of course, I mean... The Phoenix Fire. Phoenix Fire. I had to remember it's Phoenix Fire. I had to keep that clear. But there it was. We were in it now. Winner take all. There were five cards on the table. Two aces, an eight, a queen and a four. I'd picked up a four and a six and put a glamour on the six to make it into an ace. I put another glamour on the top card of the deck before it got dealt out and... All right, hang on, because I just felt about two-thirds of you all tune out. If you know bugger all about poker, here's the point. I've put glamours on two cards. A six in my hand to make it look like an ace, and a two on the table to make it look like another ace. That gives me a full house, which is a bloody good hand, all right? Three glamours running simultaneously. Six into an ace two into an ace. And of course, old dirty bottle of beer into priceless magical artefacts. Just three glamours. Six into an ace, two into an ace, bottle into phoenix fire. Six into an ace, two into an ace, bottle into phoenix fire. Normally, three glamours wouldn't be a problem for me, but I was tired and drunk and scared. Clammy sweat was running all down my back and I could feel my face twitching. Still, just a moment longer. I just needed to keep these cards up a bit longer. It's a good hand. It's a great hand. Should be more than enough to beat whatever's... Christ. It isn't. She's got an ace and an eight. It's a better hand. Oh, God, I just have a second before I need to turn over my cards. One last chance to... Ah, oh, screw it. Glamour number four. Beer bottle into phoenix fire, six into an ace, two into an ace, and, and, four into a queen. For a second I didn't know if it had worked or not. I didn't even want to look down at my cards, but then I heard this loud sound all around me and I realised it was cheering and, oh thank god. It had worked! The glamour had stuck! I had the better full house! I'd won! I'd won! <laughs> I glanced up at Sol Reflet. She shrugged in this, uh, tompi sort of a way and waved me off. Well, the hard part was over. 
Now I just needed to collect my winnings and, uh... Oh, God. I'm so tired. I... No, no, just hold on a second longer. Just put the things away and then you can let go. After that, you don't need to be constantly thinking about the beer bottle being Phoenix Fire, the six being an ace, the two being an ace, and, and the four being a king. Wait. That's not right. Four into... Oh, God. One look at Saint Reflet was all it took. She'd seen it. She'd caught how Queen had become a king, and if that was the case... Well, kids, if there's one thing you can say about your old pal Robin, it's this. He knows when it's time for a dramatic exit. I flipped the table on Saint Reflet and bolted for the door. I had her writ. With any luck, it'd be enough to get me... Oh, bollocks. The spectre was suddenly blocking the only exit because, of course, he was. Damn. I'd have to fight my way out. A tall order, but I remembered there was a fireplace on the far wall. I'm good with flame. Just a little bit of it, I should be able to persuade... Ah! 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 And suddenly... I couldn't move. I was frozen in place, this horrible, icy feeling climbing up my arms and legs. I felt my lips turning blue, and I knew exactly what was happening. I was good with fire, but... Sol Flay was good with water. So good, in fact, that she could make all the stuff running through my veins hold me in place. Ugh. This was bad. I could feel my body starting to shut down and the room swirled around me. I knew I'd be a goner if they got their hands on me. It wasn't too late. I could still fight this. So long as I didn't lose consciousness, I could still... Ugh. By the time I regained consciousness, the spectre was just about finished tying me to a chair. I was gagged, and judging by the ache on my side, had been kicked quite hard a few times. Still, that was the least of my concerns. I had a sinking feeling I was going to find out what was behind the black door after all. Sol Reflet came up, and I realised this might be my last chance to get out of this. The time had come for some of my patented diplomacy. This was hampered by, you know, me being gagged. Something told me that Sol Reflet didn't exactly find herself in a particularly forgiving mood. I think it was the way she said, I don't find myself in a particularly forgiving mood, Monsieur Fend. I am afraid you are about to become rather intimately acquainted with what happens to those who come into my establishment with the intent to steal from me. That's when the dragging across the floor started and, well, I'm afraid now it was my turn to give it a bit of the old, oh God, please, don't let him do this, for God's sake, do something. Ah. It was about as effective as you'd think and, well, folks, that was pretty much it. I mean, end of the road, right? Or it would have been, if not for... Well, if not for the way someone blew the front door off the ragtime. For a moment, I had no idea what the hell was going on. Then I saw the men that were running into the place, all wearing the same dark suit, just like the one the blonde man at the bar was wearing. I saw him standing up, shouting that everybody needed to stay still and holding something up to everyone. He was Blackstar. They all were. 
Oh, God, this was a raid. Sora Flay was a bad lady, but even she knew better than to pick a fight with the Black Star. She put up her hands, quietly gave herself over, and no, no, I'm just kidding, she tried to shoot her way out. And just like that, the place broke into chaos. Spells were being thrown left and right, fire, ice, lightning, everything. Sora Flay froze three of the Black Star agents to the ground with a flick of her wrist. The spectre was hurling lightning bolts at two others who were taking cover behind the piano. The three harpies screamed as one of the chandeliers broke apart and fell on top of them. Ooh, nasty. And I... Well, I was still a little tied up at the moment. I'd kind of been dropped when the fight started, and I didn't exactly... Well, hey! Hey! What's your aim? Semi-innocent bystander here, I didn't... Oh! Hey! I said hey! That was too close! Just another millimetre, and that fire would... Would have... Well, it's like I said. I'm very good with fire. All it took was a bit of wriggling to finally get that damn gag off, and then... Voluterno. Easy enough to burn the ropes off once I had a bit of flame on hand. 20 seconds later, I was free. Now I could join the fight and... Now I could leave. Fortunately, I got just the thing I needed to do that. One of the Black Star goons fell unconscious right next to where I was. I pulled him away from the fire and nicked his uniform jacket. Don't judge me. Just because a ton of people are going to die in this fight doesn't mean I have to, does it? I ran out to what was left of the front door, yelled something about getting reinforcements, and made a break for it. The stairs were a little on fire, but I just asked the flames if they'd get out of the way for a second. They very kindly obliged, and just like that, I was out. I'd made it. I was free! I was... And... yep. I was being tackled by the blonde Black Star agent from the bar. He got me on the ground, and unless I'm very much mistaken... No, not mistaken, those are the handcuffs. Oh, he said something about how good it was of me to introduce myself earlier this evening and to provide such a compelling distraction while his boys moved into position and... Well, I'll be honest, I tuned out most of it. At least, until he mentioned how he's going to need me to come back with them to their headquarters, just to answer some questions. As lies go, it was pretty shameless. But, well... Just like that. I guess I am getting out of Paris after all. Hooray. This has been Unseen by Long Story Short Productions. Based on an original idea by Gabrielle Urbina, with additional conceptual design work by Sarah Shackett. Today's episode was written by Gabrielle Urbina and directed by Zach Valenti, with script editing by David K. Barnes. It starred Tom Crowley in the role of Robin Fend. Original music by Alan Rohde, and also featuring music by Bob Hart, T. Bless and the Professionals, 
Wesley Thomas, Esteban Maxera Cuarteto, and Jazz Art Quartet, with sound design by Zach Valente. Unseen is produced by Sarah Shackett, Zach Valente, and Gabrielle Urbina, along with Angel Acevedo, Jen Schneider, and Amy Tanguay. For more information on the Unseen world, please visit unseen.show. Thank you for listening. You're still listening. Tremendous. Hey, Unseen producer Zach Valenti here with a quick ask. First, if you love the show, we'd love to know. Please take a moment while it's still fresh to rate and review the show wherever you listen, in particular Apple Podcast. Second, we decided to make this series to bring a little magic into a world we felt could really use some. Please share this episode with someone or someones who brings magic to your life. You can tell them there's a message for them at the end of the episode. <clears throat> On behalf of whoever brought you here, there are new podcasts every single day. But you, you're irreplaceable. Thank you for trusting my recommendation, and I hope you had fun. <clears throat> I also wanted to shout out all 1,162 of our Kickstarter backers who made this show possible. If you weren't a backer but would like to support the show retroactively, please visit unseen.show support. If you ever want to say hi, the show is on Twitter at unseen.show. Thank you so much to everyone who shared their kind words and incredible fan art. That's all for now. We'll be back Wednesday with episode 10, Blink. <laughs>